You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's Word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. All right, well, as we kind of, you know, ease into this morning, uh, this morning we'll be continuing to look at Christian beliefs. So that's the overall theme of the next few weeks. And uh, this morning we're continuing to look at the doctrine of God and we're specifically looking at the character of God. So I'm really excited to be able to work through this together and think about this. I was saying to some others earlier that most of, at least in the notes, is a lot of God is blank or God blank. (laughs) And uh, continue to see just what God's character is, what his attributes are. And so I really found it a privilege to be able to, you know, think through this and look through this. Um, and I think you'll also be encouraged to to just be reminded of what God's attributes are and who he is. But um, kind of as we get into that, what are some of the attributes or like when you think of the character of God, what is a word or what's an aspect of God's character that comes to mind for you? <clears throat> They think for me that just been reminded over and over just faithfulness. Mm. You know, we see God answering prayers coming through. Um, light shining God just faithfulness, consistent faithfulness. Yeah, faithfulness is good one. Yeah. What other attributes or characters of characteristics of God do you think of? Might. Might. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Kind of working off of two books. So one of them is Christian Beliefs by Wayne Grudem, um, and uh, another one is Concise Theology by J. I. Packer. So Packer actually talks about almightiness as one of the characteristics. So I don't have it quite outlined as that this morning, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more characteristic that comes to mind. Love. Love, yeah. We'll definitely be highlighting that this morning, so a couple of times. So, yeah, well, I have some notes here, so I think most of you have them. So, there's a lot of fill in the blank. <laughs> um, so, if you're someone who likes fill in the blank, awesome. I have a pen if anyone needs one as well. Um, so, just thinking about what is God like overall at the top of the page here. Um, So Grudem actually said, just as scripture is the highest source of information about itself, God is the highest source of information about himself. So I think that's just a great reminder and I think a great overall focus of like God is the highest source of information about himself and who he is. So much of what we will see here, I think as a consistent theme of looking at all the characteristics and attributes of God is seeing that God is transcendent. So... That's that blank there. <laughs> so I won't necessarily highlight all the blanks. You can, you know, fill them in as you as you see them. But I think that will be a consistent theme that God is transcendent. He transcends a lot of what we think of time, space, um, our human limitations. So uh, a big thing of just, you know, even the Bible starts off just highlighting that God exists so would someone be willing to just open up to Genesis 1, 1, 
know it's a verse a lot of us are familiar with, but um, just to read that um, for us, Genesis 1-1. Awesome. Pretty short. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. Um, and as you continue on through Genesis, you just continue to see that scripture matter effectively presents God as creator and as existing without any proof for his existence or actions. So another way to think about that is that he is self-existent. So um, this is kind of, a, and working with students, especially a lot of engineers, this is often very interesting, I think, to think about. Um, with students, I think a lot of them are just even like, it, it, it's just wrong that God self exists or that he was never created. Like that just cannot be a possibility because everything else around us was created <laughs> in some form or another. We don't really have like a category in which to put that, but scripture matter of factly presents God as creator and existing without any proof. Yeah, definitely feel free to grab any food if you like as well. So people everywhere know at the core of their being that God exists, they have to convince themselves otherwise. So, um, yeah, we can see that in Romans 1, 19 and 20, and verse 25 there as well. And so I think that's really great to, for us to think about as we think through these different characteristics and attributes. It's really great for us to think about which of these characteristics of God do I resonate with, but also which ones may I not be believing or, you know, which ones I'm like, yeah, maybe I've kind of been hedging a little bit with um, or maybe not believing to their fullest. And so I think that's a great thing for us to um, consider as we think through these characteristics. So, yeah. So at the core, people everywhere know that, you know, that God exists, but we have to convince ourselves otherwise. And something that we continue to see throughout the Bible is that human beings give the most evidence of God's existence being created in his image. So God has created lots of things to display his glory and who he is. Um, but that's a great thing is that we have the reality of is that as human beings, we've been given the most evidence. In a lot of ways, it's the biggest display of God's existence being created in his image. So that's one of the first attributes there is that God exists. Uh, the next one is that God is knowable. So God is knowable. Not noble, but noble. <laughs> <Both>. <laughs> he is, yeah, he is noble, noble and knowable. <laughs> As it came out of my mouth, I'm like, that sounds a lot like noble. So he is that too. So God is knowable. So we don't have the capacity to fully understand everything about God, um, but there's a lot that we can understand and know about God and a lot of things that he does show us. So... We can personally know him. Would someone be willing to look up? We have uh, Jeremiah 9.24 there. Would someone be willing to look up Jeremiah 9.24 and read that? Awesome. <clears throat> but, let, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, so we definitely see in that verse that God is displaying, showing that, and he wants us to know him. He, you know, we see lots of characteristics there, lots of things that he, he calls us into about knowing him personally. 
Uh, we also can know from uh, what he discloses about himself in scripture, we can know about God. So uh, the Old Testament constantly celebrates the fact that God has made his name known to Israel. Um, and the Psalms direct praise to his name. So you can see lots of it listed them out. We won't look at all of them there, um, but listed a lot of the examples where Psalms continues to direct praise to his name. So um, as you look, if you were to look at these verses, name actually means or refers to like God himself as he revealed himself by word and deed. So name means God himself as he revealed himself by word and deed. And we continue to see as we go throughout scripture, especially in the Old Testament, I mean, through the whole Bible, but as you continue to look through the Old Testament, you can see the ways that God continues to reveal himself and show himself. So in Exodus 3, 6 um, and verses 13 through 16, God shows us the ways that he exists. And then later on, when Moses asks God, show me your glory, one thing that he does is that he shows more of how he behaves. So you get to, you get to see like in Exodus 3, 6, um, verses 13 through 16, you get to see a lot of just his general attributes, like he's this undiminishable king, he's unfettered. Um, he is just amazing in so many different ways. And then as you go on later in Exodus, you see more of what his moral character is like, more of how he behaves. And so as God shows that he is knowable, some other attributes that we see about him, and i got a few little emojis for you here. So he is love, <laughs> he is light, he is spirit. That one's a little bit hard to see, but a little bit of wind blowing a leaf. <laughs> it's like on frozen too. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Fractals. <laughs> Have righteousness. So kind of thought of a ruler with that. He's beautiful. And one that I don't know would necessarily for me automatically jump out is that he is jealous. So there's a little heart on fire. <laughs> so um, and I, that one was one that was really kind of jumping out to me as I looked through that and thought about that, is that this is a, a covenantal jealousy for us, that it really shows God as a, as a committed lover, as someone who really, of course, cares about us. And as he is loyal and committed to us, he desires for us to be loyal and committed to him as well. So um, something that is really, I think, kind of amazing to think about is that he's fully these things at all times. So he is all of these things at all times. There's never a moment where one of these is diminished. Um, one thing we'll kind of look at is as human beings, we are disintegrated beings. And so we can't have all of our good qualities on display at all times. But this is something about God is that all of his qualities are fully there and fully present at all times. So, and as you continue throughout the Bible, you get to see that God is noble through Jesus. So Jesus is the full revelation of the mind, the outlook, the ways, the plans, and purposes of God the Father. So uh, you can even think about how Jesus in the Lord's Prayer said, hallowed be your name. So this expresses that the desire of Jesus is that the first person of God would be revered in, in all ways. So Jesus is a full revelation 
of who God is. And so once again, as people created for God's glory, we can bring him glory as we imitate him by exhibiting likeness to his attributes. So as people created for God's glory, we can bring him glory as we imitate him by exhibiting likeness to his attributes. Yeah, so it goes on. Um, another attribute of God is that he is independent. So he doesn't need anything he created, including ourselves. So he is fully fulfilled in himself. So would someone be willing to look up Acts 17, 24 through 25? So these are some great verses that further highlight God's independence. Yeah. Acts 17, 24. God made the world and everything in it. He, Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human beings as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Yeah. So he doesn't need anything from us because he gave us everything <laughs> in the first place. So another, um, I thought this was a, a cool word. I haven't heard this word before. Um, so Packer lays that out a little bit in his book, Concise Theology. So there's a word, I think there's a few different ways to say it, but aseiety. And so it's from the Latin ase, meaning from himself. So just a question I wanted to ask all of us here is what problems arise when we don't see God as being from himself, essentially, or that he's another, kind of mentioned that earlier, that he's self-existent, uncreated. So what problems could arise when we don't see God as being from himself? Or another way of putting it, what problems can arise when we don't seek it that God doesn't really need anything from anything he created? I think it causes, if, if I don't, I think that he needs me. You know, he yeah. needs me to do something for him. And it can feel in me. He, want, he invites me into his mission. He invites me into his work. But there's, um, I guess, a flip-flop the order when yeah. all of a sudden my drive becomes to prove myself to God, to do something for God, like that mm. drive <clears throat> of God needing me or like I can't stop and rest because you know, it all depends on me like to recognize that God himself is the one who has it and then you know, he gives freely. You know, right. like, kind of puts, I can get distorted in my perspective. Yeah. Right up. That's a great point. Yeah. So we end up taking things into our own hands a lot of times rather than realizing like it's ultimately in God's hands. Yeah. Or things get out of whack of how much we think we need to do right, right, <laughs> versus right. what God like I feel like I can't, stop rest. I can't stop to rest because I have an improper view of my job, my work, mm -hmm. what I need to do. And it's not necessarily that I think God needs me for this work, but I'm subconsciously sometimes thinking that if I don't, who will? And then, yeah. you know, just that disordered perspective of my work. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think from there, I mean, I think that's a big issue as well. If we don't realize that God is really from himself and has created everything, is that we can tend to limit God or view him as being too small. And it's like, really, our God is great. He is huge. <laughs> he can accomplish all things. So, um, so although God does not need us, he allows us to bring joy to his heart. So that's a great thing. Um, and it's a joy that results in loud singing. So this morning, 
as we go on from here, can definitely sing it out this morning and praise him for all he is. So um, we also see that he has blessed us. He has, he has blessed in us as his creation as well. So that's a neat thing to see. And once again, like he doesn't need us, but he is blessed in us as his creation and as we continue to follow him and know him. So God is also an unchangeable God. He's the only God, but God is unchangeable. He's unchangeable in his being and his attributes and his purposes and promises. I think this is really cool to think about here as well. He cannot change for the better or for the worse. So he's always the same, always good, always good in full measure. So um, you can probably think of some examples um, with this, but God's unchangeableness does not mean that he is incapable of responding or feeling differently as it relates to a change in situation. So uh, another way you might think about this, this was uh, a word I hadn't really thought about or heard before, but God is impassable. So another way to think about that is that he feels, but he is always in control of it towards the end of his will. So it's not that he's passive. Um, that's not what impassable means. He feels, but is always in control of it towards the end of his will. But can you think of any examples, any examples that come to mind that highlight that God is not unchanging, but he does, you know, feel appropriately to a change in situation? I mean, one example I think of is just the response at Nineveh. Um, Jonah didn't like that <laughs> too much. Um, but, uh, you know, he did say that there was going to be a catastrophe if they didn't repent, but they did repent. And so... Um, God responded in kind, but any other examples from scripture that come to mind? God responds or he responds to a change in situation. I don't know if this is a right example, but I like think of even Jesus and his suffering. Like mm. he felt his suffering to the like to an extent, but it didn't he didn't not fulfill yeah. what he needed to do. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's a really good, good one. Yeah. Maybe the kind of the flip side of the that Sodom and Gomorrah, God said He was willing to spare them if mm -hmm. they found a certain number of righteous people. So yeah. So God was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to turn from this. Yeah. If you can find wisdom. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's something else that we'll see is that God can even see like all possibilities, <laughs> whether or not they actually happen, like he knows all possibilities that could happen. So, but that is something that he frequently re withholds his burning anger. Um, in Hosea 11, 8 and 9, he said, I will not come in wrath. So that's just a great reminder as, as well about God's unchangeableness and also what his overall disposition is towards us as well. So God is also eternal. He has no beginning or end or succession of events in his own being. So I think that was that's one that's still kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around and even exactly <laughs> what that means. But we're, we're very based in time and see change and growth. Um, but uh, God has no beginning or end, no succession of events in his own being. So he can view the whole of history instantaneously and a brief event as if occurring forever. So you can see both of those in 2 Peter 3.8, which is really interesting. So 
um, you know, a day can be like a thousand days, <laughs> um, but also a brief event can seem like um, it's occurring forever. And so even though he's not bound by time, even though he's eternal, he still rules over time and uses it for his purposes. So even with no succession of, of movements or events in his life, um, he sees the progression of time. So he still works within time. Yeah. So I think this next one, I actually forgot to fill in the blame myself here. <laughs> but I think uh, the next one is that God is omnipotent. So God does and will always totally reign. So he's still in control through all the free agency that he gives us. So Psalm 93 shows us that God ensures the stability of the world against all chaos and confirms his trustworthiness in all things and calls for our worship. As we see, we can be blank in him. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look that. Any any guesses? <laughs> but we do see that God totally always does reign. So God is also omnipresent. So he is present in every point of space with his whole being. So there's no part of his being that is not lacking. So I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but he is a fully integrated being so he can give his attention at all times to everyone, everywhere. So we definitely do not know what that is like. <laughs> As human beings, our attention is often divided or distracted, but he can give his full attention at all times to everyone, everywhere. And he can also act differently in different spaces. So there's times where he blesses, there are times when he punishes, and there are times too when he is just consistently holding all things together. Um, and so we see that in first or in Colossians 117, all things are, are held together by him. I think we saw that too in the uh, when Israelites were in Egypt and some of the latter plagues that it's on the Egyptians, but he's sparing the disciples, uh, the disciples, the Israelites making that mm -hmm. distinct demarcation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, thanks for highlighting that here. Yeah, so he's not bound by space, not bound by time, and yet he created it. So uh, once again, pretty amazing to think about. So if you flip over, uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier with the emojis, but God is spirit. Would someone be willing to look up John 4, 24 and read that for us? God is spirit and those who worship, worship him must worship in spirit and truth awesome so we'll talk a little bit about that more here in a bit of what it looks like to worship God in spirit and truth but God is spirit and he is invisible and cannot be perceived by any of our bodily senses. He is far more excellent than any representation that we could ever imagine. And so through his spiritual nature, 
He also gives us our spiritual nature. So as Christians, we become one spirit with him. You can see that in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. And our spirit will also return to God who gave it. <coughs> yeah, so our spirit will return to God who gave it when we die. So as spirit, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. So I think another great way to highlight that is that it is a renewed heart. And our heart is renewed upon the truth of seeing our need for Jesus. So we're made in spirit like him as well. So our heart is renewed in, our, in spirit through the truth of our need for Jesus. So though we cannot see God's complete essence, he does choose to show aspects of himself through created things, and especially through the person of Jesus Christ. God knows everything as well because he is omniscient. So he fully knows himself in every possibility, and he knows that automatically. So that's really amazing to think about as well. Like, we often need to retrieve information. God does not need to retrieve information. It's automatically there before him. So not like a computer where you got to <laughs> pull it up and try to find the information. He knows himself in every possibility automatically. He knows whether it will happen or not. Therefore, God's knowledge can never lessen or grow, just like his, any attribute of himself can never lessen or grow. God's knowledge can never lessen or grow. And we also cannot hide ourselves from him. So I think a great thing in this, in knowing that God is omniscient, is it really assures us as believers that God never forgets us. So it assures us as believers that God never forgets us. It also reminds those who are not forgiven that their sin is not hidden. So this can both create a sense of great joy, can also create a sense of great dread as well, realizing that God is omniscient and nothing is hidden from him. So he is near to those who call on him in truth. And so I think that's a huge comfort for us that we have worldwide availability to the God of the universe. Um, there's nowhere that we can go that he doesn't see us, that he doesn't know us. So as God is omniscient, he is also all-powerful. He is omnipotent. So he's able to do all of his holy will. I said omnipotent earlier, so that blank that I left blank <laughs> must be something else. <laughs> I thought it might be sovereign. I think. Yeah, I think you are right. So, yeah. <laughs> Sovereign is a very good guess. <laughs> Packer kind of uh, lumps them together, like sovereign with omnipotent. So it makes sense. Yeah, lumps it with omnipotent omniscience. So God's all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's able to do all his holy will. And if you see, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but if you see in the notes, like it says G30 there, that just comes from it's the page 30 in Grudem's book in the P's for Packer's book. So he's able to do all his holy will. But God cannot or will not do anything that denies who he is. So he can't go, he can't contradict himself. He can't contradict his character. He can't do anything that is evil. So therefore, it's not excessive what many in the scripture wrote about God in Psalm 18, 1 and 2, and 46, 1. Just a lot of verses about how does anyone have um, Psalm 46.1 memorized or can kind of just spot it off? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, yeah. 4620? Yeah. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Yeah. Oh, reference. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, there's uh, sometimes you can look at Psalms like, wow, just gushing over who God is, but it's not untrue. He is omnipotent, He is all powerful. And so um, it's not excessive to in any of the ways that people praise Him throughout the scripture or in the Psalms. So next one, um, and some of these get a little bit more into the mystery of who God is as well. So mystery, not meaning some, you know, it's not really meaning something that, you know, can't be found or discovered. Um, but it's, a, it's some of the characteristics or attributes of God that are in a lot of ways really hard for us to understand or we don't really fully know how they work out. And yet we see in scripture that God does work them out and that he does do them. So um, some of these come into play a little bit more here in the next sections, but God predestines. So Packer says the scripture writers insist that God has shown himself absolutely in control in bringing his plan to the point it has reached as they write. So he will continue in total control working out everything according to his own will, and so completing his redemptive project. So it's really neat to see that um, throughout all the scripture. I mean, the writers see what God has already accomplished, and they have full faith and trust that he is going to continue to accomplish that in his redemptive project. So some other words that um, Packer also used that I like is that God actively foreloves or foreappointed those who would be saved. So um, this is throughout the book of Ephesians, but would someone be willing to read Ephesians 1, 4 through 5? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoptions of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Awesome. Thanks, Victor. So it is only God who can move sinners to choose him. It's only God who can move sinners to choose him. And no one chooses him naturally. So it's John 6, 65. So I didn't get that reference put in there, but it's John 6, 65 there, that no one chooses him naturally. So even though all humans act. All human acts are free in the sense of being self-determined. None are free from God's control to his purpose and to his plan. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of analogies um, end up not working out all that well, but one way I heard it put is kind of uh, in dancing in pairs, be like God being the lead. And as someone who follows, you do have the choice at times to not make the right step, <laughs> but God is still leading and moving and directing. So I'm sure that breaks down at some point, um, but it was kind of interesting to, to think about and hear that. So God predestines, not only does God know all things, but he is wise in all things. So Grudem said, this means he always chooses the best possible goals and the best possible means to meet those goals. How great would that be if we could do that ourselves? <laughs> but we cannot. So. Um, but God always does. 
So his wisdom is manifested through his creation and through those who love him. And he generously gives his wisdom to his children. So James 1.5 highlights that. So although he may help us understand why things turn out like they do, we cannot possibly fathom all of his wisdom. So that means we should definitely seek his wisdom. <laughs> Since we can't possibly fathom all of his wisdom, um, we don't always choose the best plan or the best goals, but God does. And so we should seek him in his wisdom and seek his leading. We can also trust God because he is truthful. So in everything that he does and everything that he says, he is truthful. He never, he never lies. So Jeremiah 10.10 says, the Lord is the true God. Pretty short, pretty simple. All his knowledge and all his words are both true and the final standard of truth. So some ways we can partake, partake in his truth is by seeking to rightly know him and his word, as we've talked about a little bit already, and being truthful in what we say and do. So really the essence of true faith is taking God at his word. God is also Trinity, so God is one and three. I think when I've also heard Trinity talked about, I've heard God as one and three, but it was kind of interesting to hear God as one and three. And so let's take a look at an example from Matthew 28, 19. So someone be willing to open up and read Matthew 28, 19. <coughs> therefore, I make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Awesome. Thanks, Morgan. So you see both. there, what's that? I read both. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Great <laughs> right verses. Yeah, so you see here, Jesus is saying there's one name. So he doesn't give multiple names. There's a name. There is one God and that we are to be committed to all three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So you can see many other examples of this in, in many other verses throughout scripture. But the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are co-equal and co-eternal centers of self-awareness. Each being, when they say I in relation to the two who are you, and each partaking of the full divine essence along with the other two. So it's kind of a wordy sentence, but I think um, really when you when you read it and look through it and think about it, um, really just quite something to think about. They're co-equal, they're co-eternal centers of self-awareness, and they're each partaking in the full divine essence along with all others. So this doesn't mean that God is three roles played by one person. That's something referred to as modalism. Nor are they three gods in one cluster. That's something called tritheism. So what are, just a question, you know, for us is what are the practical importances of God being three and one? What are the practical importances of God being a trinity? What does that call us to do is another way to think about that.
is part of it is that God has always existed yeah. in three persons and therefore we're made in this image like that helps us understand why we're made for relationship mm. and community Yeah, is that the God who made us is always in perfect relationship yeah. within himself and, and so I think it kind of explains some of the reasons that we have the desires <coughs> that we do to get a real relationship and community yeah. as it's reflective of who God is yeah that's a great point any other thoughts? I think with that there too, it gives the sense that there is a completeness to God mm. that is also like in relation to community is like achieved through that. Which I think for our practical sense is like not only having perfect community with each other, but also for us to be complete in the presence of God. Like yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are great points. I think it also highlights, too, we should give equal attention to all three as well. We shouldn't diminish one for another. And each one has a role in God's plan of grace as well. So God is one in three. Um, lastly here, um, a few more. God is holy. So what sets him apart from mankind is that he is perfect and pure, and he cannot tolerate sin. So this means, another way to think of God being holy, means that he is just. So Packer says God displays his justice as a legislator and judge and also as a promise keeper and pardoner of sin. So we see that through Jesus Christ. And because God is holy, we should pursue fellowship with him in holiness and righteousness in Christ. So said earlier too that God is love. So just a, a little bit of focus there too. Um, you know, it's just really a great question, I think, for us to ask ourselves is what else can it be called but love when such kindness is shown to save sinners who deserve condemnation? And that he never breaks his promise of forgiveness and faithfulness. So God first loved us. You see that in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. His love and kindness impacts all his creation and should lead sinners to repentance. He also shows love by rescuing people out of trouble and in his mercy and forbearance. And I think a great way, and you could end with any of these attributes, but I think a great way to end is that God governs the world. He sustains all creatures, involves himself in all events, and sees all things to their appointed end. So a great thing that this shows us is that we are never in the grip of blind forces, whether it be fortune, chance, luck, or fate. All that happens to us is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is our spiritual and eternal good, that all of those things are for our spiritual and eternal good. So God governs the world. So um, we're kind of near the end here, but just wanted to take a little bit of time uh, to just ask some questions. I think there were some great questions 